Sajid Rahman is an angel investor, a leader and a coach. He is the CEO of Telenor Health, a digital medicine company that is positively impacting millions of lives in emerging countries. Some of the most exciting projects Sajid has invested includes Hyperloop One, SHIP, Planetary Resources and Zendrive. He is a mentor to Endeavor Indonesia, which aims to elevate mid-sized companies into billion-dollar empires. He has a great depth and breadth of knowledge in fintech, telemedicine, cybersecurity, business, renewables, and much more. He shows firsthand what it is to be a prolific investor through his diverse knowledge in many fields. He is the closest I've come to a polymath, and I'm sure you will learn many gems from Sajid. In this episode, we cover how he manages to stay on top of all the new exciting fields and trends he is part of, some of the interesting investments including Hyperloop One and Planetary Resources, Space Resources and the infinite opportunity that lies beyond our planet, the role of fintechs in the age of financial disruption, the opportunity that lies in Africa in the coming decade, and his personal investment philosophy after hundreds of investments. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show, Penal Bahadera. Hi, Sajid. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Awesome. How are you? I'm very good as well. And first of all, thank you so much for joining into the show. And it's a, it's a pleasure, pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. So first of all, I've read your amazing backstory. I've, I'm really keen to know how you got started in angel investing, because I know you started off as in banking, and then you kind of worked your way through a multitude of industries, and now you're an angel investor. So I'm really keen to know how you, how your journey evolved with time. Well, it all started uh, when I was in the bank. Uh, so I was running a business here in Indonesia of a bank called Standard Chartered. Uh, so when I was working in the bank, a couple of uh, young guys, they approached me. They were trying to set up a fintech company. And they said that whether I can help them out as an advisor, uh, specifically in terms of banking regulations of Indonesia, which is, you know, because like any other countries, it, it's complicated unless you are part of the banking system. Uh, so I, I started helping them as an advisor. And then they were raising a round and they, were asked, they, they asked me whether I would like to invest. So that was my first uh, angel investment. Um, that's how the whole thing started. Uh, but of course, you know, uh, on that round, there were other people who also invested, uh, as a, came in as angel investors, and some of them have been doing it for a while. So they sort of told me, you know, what are the different ways to invest, and how to get access to more companies and things like that. So that sort of started my whole uh, passion of angel investment. Nice, that's awesome. So. Uh, I've also known that you, you're in like a multitude of industries, um, telemedicine, uh, space exploration, e-commerce, then, I mean, you name it. So how do you find the time to keep keep yourself updated and be involved in all these industries at the same time? So it depends. Um, I mean, my involvement in some industries are very deep. Uh, and so in some cases, it's more like an investor. So my investment or my involvement there is more like an operational when the founder wants something. So, for example, uh, you know, in, in digital health, uh, you know, that's sort of like a, that takes a lot of bit of time because I'm, I'm running the company as a CEO. Uh, I am also building one of the largest wind power projects in Bangladesh. So that takes a lot of time. But 
in general, a lot of the investments are mostly in space exploration and others is more as investors. So it's not a very active involvement in those spaces. Uh, the way I distribute my time is uh, I'm, a, I'm, very, I'm a very inquisitive person. So, you know, very curious mind. So I read a lot. Uh, and that leads me to get involved into many different topics and reach out to people who are really much better in that particular space than me. Uh, yeah, and that, that's how you know I get involved. And uh, in terms of managing, I have, I'm, I'm usually, uh, in a way, I'm, I'm very focused. So whenever I'm working on something, I, I divide my thinking into different boxes. So whenever I'm focusing on one thing, it goes into one box, and then it's finished. It just ends, and I move to another box. It's, it's a difficult thing to do. I'm not very good at it, but you know, it's improving over time. So that way, you have little time to waste. And I'm also very careful on committing my time on anything, which I think won't add value. So, yeah, so that's where my sort of basics of management. Time management. Right. So um, with, with your angel investing journey, how, when did you figure out that it was the right path for you and what excited about it? What, what did you get excited about the most? So when I started the angel investment, of course, you know, I made a few investments. Um, so, and then I started really liking it. Um, so there are, you know, there are one way to look at angel investment is it's not only you're investing your money, but you're also investing your time. Uh, and this is where you can actually have an impact on the company. So for example, if you're a public market investor, as you go and buy a stock, and then, you know, you don't like the stock, you sell it, you buy another stock. So, your involvement really don't move the middle of, of, the, of that particular company. You know, there are, you know, thousands of other retail, uh, you know, investors in that stock. There are hedge funds and big funds coming in. But if you're an angel investor, your check can actually make a difference on the life of the company. So, so the way, so your influence is much deeper in angel investments. And the second thing is it actually can contribute to the company's success. Uh, I mean, your angel investment may actually lead to the next Google or Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and that means you are essentially saying that, okay, you were one of the persons who actually helped create the next Facebook or Google or, or Zoom, which, which, you know, which ended up serving hundreds of millions, in some cases, billions of people in the world, and, you know, one of the largest companies in the world, stuff like that. So that's where the, I think the impact of investment is very different from the typical public market investments. So when I started this whole angel investment journey, I really liked that idea uh, and the close contact with the founders. The second thing I realized that, you know, all the founders actually uh, bring a lot of value to me uh, on reverse way. While I'm giving my time and, and my, you know, my money, I actually learn a lot from the founders because they are unique in their own ways. So, they, so most of the founders might have some, you know, some improvement areas, like some may not be good in people management, some may not know how to recruit new talent, some may, not, some may need some help on the strategy. But at the same time, they are all unique in their own way in terms of the depth of the understanding of the vertical they're working on and the unique perspective of the world of the future. Right? So I myself also learn a lot in the process. So these two combination that I'm actually learning from the whole journey itself and I'm actually making an impact really makes me you know, very passionate about the whole engineering industry. Right, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and um, like you said, you're the CEO of Telenor Health, and especially due to the due to the current events, I know that the stock Teladoc, Livongo Health, they've been booming, like they've been hitting all-time highs literally every day. So, 
what impacts and what opportunities do you see within your business going ahead? Will yeah. yeah. So we yeah. So we actually we rebranded our company to Digital Healthcare Solutions, uh, but it's the same company, same group of people. And what we are seeing, of course, is uh, you know with the pandemic, digital health has really become at the center of the healthcare ecosystem. Uh, if you look at any large company, whether it's Google or Amazon or Uber or even Zoom, right? So the reason these companies become so big is that they take a human behavior and change it. And not only on one or two or hundred or thousand or a million person, but hundreds of millions of people. So for example, before Google, you didn't search for information the way you search now. Right? Before Amazon, yeah. you didn't buy things the way you buy now. So they change human behavior in a fundamental way. And that is sort of the secret, secret of large tech companies. Now with digital health or telehealth, one of the big challenges have been these human behavior changes. Uh, we as a human are very comfortable talking with a doctor and we feel like if a doctor is yeah. seeing me touching my pulse and stuff, we, we really don't get that comfort. But the re fact remains that this telehealth or digital health is equally as good uh, for primary care as a, you know, as a physical face-to-face -face meetings. And what COVID-19 has done is that it has pushed this behavior change on hundreds of millions of people where people are now getting more comfortable on the digital health and that way of receiving doctor consultations. And that we are seeing fundamentally changing a lot of this business in this space. So our business has been growing very rapidly. We are very involved. We are doing thousands of consultations every day. Uh, we, we are doing, uh, we have launched health insurances related to Corona and many other areas. We are going to the extent of collecting samples uh, for individuals for Corona tests. We launched symptom checkers. So it's a very busy time for now, but I think the long-term view is that even when the Corona is not there, this particular behavioral change in digital health space will continue. And we'll see people more and more accustomed to digital healthcare as a part of their whole health journey. Right. So if I'm not wrong, so you allocate most of your time to Telenor Health, is that right? And then yeah, you have, yeah, okay. And then um, on whenever you're free, you allocate other times to investing and yeah. my VC and your blog, of course. Yeah, so that's my day job. So my day job is to run the health company. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, and the, and the evening job is to do all these investments and everything else. Yeah. All your other passions. So yeah, that's awesome. And um, yeah, so um, with with I was really interested with the planetary resources investing you've done as well, and what, where do you see the future of it, like feasibility and the potential? Do you think the risk reward is worth it going ahead? Sorry, risk uh, reward. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so what's what's happening uh, is is I mean, planetary resource itself has been you know uh, I don't know what you're calling it, it has been uh, bought by another company. Uh, but in general, what's happening in this space is that the space economy is 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 actually a real thing. You know? I mean, we all get excited about a SpaceX launch and we feel like yeah. okay, you know, it's becoming reality. But but there is now a very concrete focus, and I know a couple of funds which specifically focus on the space economy. Uh, the reason is this, uh, and this is where the technology comes in and breaks an old industry and really make it uh, applicable for many. We have seen this with, with Moore's Law, where you know where a lot of these, where that phone becomes so accessible that the phone becomes sort of a part of our life. Uh, or some, some people think even part of our, you know, it's just like a limb, <laughs> so the way we yeah. have phone. Uh, uh, because a phone is so powerful. And we, are, we, are, we have seen the same thing happening in genomics state. Uh, 
uh, DNA sequencing, which used to take millions of dollars, is now a few thousands, and very soon will be a few hundred. And the, the impact of that uh, sequencing, with the cross reaction sequencing, is many from drug development and cures and stuff. Now, the same thing is happening on space economy. So what the big thing is launching a satellite. And what we are seeing is that this is a, a satellite launch has, the cost of launching a satellite has dropped significantly. You know, it has come down to a few thousands to where it used to be only done by a, by a national company like NASA, right? So now it's, yeah. a, you know, a lot of small startups are doing it. So that has changed what we know as space economy itself. Uh, the planetary resource had a very ambitious idea. They say that, okay, I mean, you know, all the uh, asteroids uh, floating around in the sky. I mean, the minerals in those asteroids is much more than what we have on Earth. And in the Earth, a lot of these fightings and wars are happening because of these minerals. <laughs> so if we, if we start going to space and start mining these asteroids, then we basically have unlimited source of, you know, wealth or resource that we can bring back. And that was the ambition of planetary resource. And we, I'm sure someone will crack it uh, very soon. Uh, and then there is another company that I, that I invested with. Basically, it's a lot of these people are sending uh, you know, satellites. Now, you have this concept of tow track. So, so this is basically a tow track in the space. So it goes out, it, it throws the satellite and put it into the right, right place. Wow. <laughs> so that, you know, because all the satellites. And then there is another company which is actually in advanced talk of taking over the ISS, International Space Stations, uh, from the Thomas, because what is going to happen with all the space flights, ISS would be a very, you know, a place where there's where the space travelers will recharge and stuff like that, right? So ISS would be a big thing. So yeah, so there's very exciting things happening on the on the in this space on the space economy. Yeah, it's like um, all the movies coming into play now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So you're 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 especially involved in investing in emerging markets. Is that right? Uh, not really. So, you know, most of my investments are still in US, in Silicon Valley yeah. and others. But uh, of course, you know, because I'm based out of Indonesia, so there is uh, quite a few investment in Southeast Asia. And I work all over the world. So I know a lot of people in Africa, in Latin America, in all those places. So I also have uh, investments there. Uh, but I mean, of the total portfolio, roughly 70% would be in US and that's 30% would be in US. Okay. So going forward, well, um, I'm especially keen to know what, what are your thoughts on Africa as an emerging um, economy? Because I know that they have a lot of headwinds as well as tailwinds. Tailwinds in the form of resources and a younger demographic and a lot of potential pretty much. So where do you see them uh, going forward as an economy? I'm very bullish on Africa, uh, you know, because I spent roughly five years in Nigeria uh, managing West Africa. So I've traveled within Africa extensively. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very interesting continent. A uh, lot of cultures, different cultures, different languages, a uh, lot of potentials in terms of mineral resources and human resources. So, and I think the, the age of Africa is coming. Uh, so, uh, you know, because Africa is now as connected with the rest of the world. So you have a very aspiring population who are seeing what the world can offer, what technology can offer. And you have some very good talents uh, in Africa, in different, you know, especially in different countries like Nigeria, Kenya, uh, South Africa, some Ghana and places like that. So, uh, and as the governance question, that which has been the biggest question about Africa, you know, the, the way the countries are governed, as those get improved over time, uh, not so much of a top-down, but bottom-up, because population are becoming more aware 
uh, of the challenges and how to make those changes. Uh, I'm very bullish that Africa is going to be a big force to reckon with. And I think that's what we are also seeing a lot of uh, companies from Silicon Valley and others acknowledge that. Uh, we are seeing also a lot of funds focusing on Africa, especially in, in, in startups which, which works more on infrastructure improvement, like in fintechs and payments spaces. Yeah. So with the, since, like you said, like COVID-19 accelerated the adoption of, you know, online space with e-commerce, telemedicine, what do you think its effect will have on the startup, startup community will, so as you said, like Silicon Valley was a very exclusive play, uh, space back in the past, but because of all this modern technology, do you think that anywhere in the world can be as influential as Silicon Valley going forward? So two things is going to happen, right? So one is, of course, the question of geographic location. So one of the things we all realize is that you can work remotely and quite effectively, yeah. which is one of the... So that, of course, questions, do we need to have all these people uh, in Silicon Valley where the, where the real set price is very, very high? Uh, engineering cost is very high to hire engineers, right? So do we need to have all these people in Silicon Valley or can we actually create a distributed team who are based out of, you know, anywhere in the world, like Kenya, Bangalore, uh, you know, Singapore, wherever we want it, and then actually serve that. And I think that's where we are heading uh, in terms of, uh, you know, distributed teams and working remotely and stuff like that. If that holds true, then of course, the next question is that you can be anywhere in the world, whether you can be Africa and be, you know, part of the whole global tech ecosystem. I think that those days are coming. Uh, uh, and with this whole COVID-19 experience, people have broadly realized that, you know, the, the team efficiency actually, you know, doesn't get significantly impacted. In fact, in some cases, it improves. So, yeah, so uh, I think this will change uh, from what we used to know as Silicon Valley uh, to a much wider ecosystem across the world. Yeah. So, yeah, that brings to back question back to you. So you have uh, My Asia VC Fund. How are you planning on expanding that throughout emerging Asia and actually impacting youngsters to be motivated to get into startups and develop better companies? So two things. So I mean, the, the fund itself, and I, I run a syndicate along that, uh, so which is mostly focused on emerging markets. Uh, uh, this, this, you know, because I think, um, so two things. The reason I got very interested is because uh, this sort of crisis actually bring in the right sort of founders. So people who are not really in the startup because of the hype around it, but are really passionate of solving a problem and care for the long haul. And when things are tough, you know, when things are very tough to get uh, funding, those are the times when the real entrepreneurs come in and start building companies. Yeah. And we have seen it many times, right? So, so that's why I, I'm very bullish on the startups which are starting now or the founders who have the perseverance to go through now. So, so that's why. And that's why I'm actually making more bets now than I used to make before uh, in, in the kind of environment. Uh, so I, I think this, this actually helps to really contribute to the right set of founders and of course at the right valuation. So because there's no, the bubble, to some extent on the private market has gone down. Uh, the second thing of course is, you know, the, the, it also leads me to get involved into a lot of startup ecosystems uh, in Indonesia, in Bangladesh and many other markets and to help the founders any way I can. Uh, so, you know, obviously through connections or mentoring or, or whichever way it's possible. So that's the other area I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Um, so one of the other biggest questions I've had is, you know, how when someone, when there's a very successful startup that's coming up, they make it there, but 
one of the bigger companies always uh, buy them over. So do you think the current, the big companies are too powerful and it's, it, no one can disrupt them at the current rate? Are they getting too big to fail? Yeah, so I mean, so big companies are really very powerful now. Uh, I think the yeah. difference here is, and we, we heard of companies like, like Enron and others, right? So who were big in oil, and they really, you know, ultimately failed because of some challenges in governance. Or we have seen, you know, uh, Nokia's of the world who are big, but, they could, but you know, some of the companies came in and disrupted, like, you know, yeah. in many places. But I think what the difference between the big four or, you know, the way we know it, if you like Facebook, Amazon, Google, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft, or you know, even Alibaba, Baidu, stuff like that. I think that the thing about these companies is that they have really learned and they are not only big, but they are really innovating a lot internally. Yeah. You know, the whole culture of these companies is very innovative focused. So they don't have the inertia that you typically see in a very large company. So they are very innovative, very agile, mm -hmm. very improving. While at the same time, they are sitting on you know, hundreds of billions of dollars, billions, right? much yeah. more than many, many, many countries' uh, you know, yeah. uh, GDP. So, so these are really large companies. We are talking about companies which are valued at a trillion dollars and stuff, right? So these are really, really large. Now, that means that uh, you know, these companies will continue to grow. And we are seeing that. I mean, if you, look, if you think Amazon was big, just because of this COVID-19, they are coming across uh -huh. much bigger on the other end, yeah. right? And the same is happening with Facebook. You know all these tech companies so one clear winner out of this whole COVID-19 are the tech companies and you can see it reflected in the in the you know in the stock exchange that most of the value is driven by these uh, tech companies because I think there's a general consensus that the tech companies will come out on the other side much bigger because one they have the cash to sustain the challenges and second you know the huge technological adoption that's happening now, saying that, it does not mean the new companies cannot come in and disrupt. So the, there will always be some large companies who are buying in some smaller companies. And, you know, that might be a good way to exit for many yeah. founders, if they like it. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I mean, I don't think, uh, you know, the process of disruption is getting stopped because of it. But I think the process of disruption will continue and will accelerate. Uh, I mean, and there are hundreds of examples, you know, where we thought some companies cannot disrupt because, you know, I mean, even if you look yeah. at this social media, right? I mean, we thought, you know, Facebook is going to be big and then uh, Snapchat came in and Instagram yeah. came in and, you know, explained. I mean, now, uh, I don't know, there's new Clubhouse, right? A Clubhouse, which has come in now recently. It's, a, it's yeah. audio based social, you know, so that is again booming. So, so uh, you know, whatever we think, I mean, we thought Google was good and then DuckDuckGo came in, the Brave browser came, you know. So, and then there is another search. So, so there continues to be ways uh, that disruption happen and I don't think that will stop. Yeah. Human mind is very, 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 very uh, innovative. Human ingenuity. Yeah. Means, yeah. So as um, also as a previous uh, uh, banker and you've worked in the banking industry for a long time, with the advent of cryptocurrency and booming fintechs, um, with that industry, do you see many disruptions ahead with the traditional banking sector? Oh, very much. I mean, I think financial, financial, so a couple of industries are ripe for disruption, right? So because these industries have been somewhat protected by regulations, so, yeah. uh, you know, it, it took a bit longer. So 
healthcare is one, agriculture is one, we are seeing some in education and now obviously the, the financial service space. So, I mean, look at a bank is like a big whale and all these fintechs is like Kuyan has are eating different corners <laughs> of that whale. And so you have, yeah. you have fintechs focusing on wealth management, you have fintechs focusing on stockbroker and uh, Robinhood, which is, you know, you, you yeah. zero commission. I think in the last three months, they opened 15 million new accounts, right? So these are booming. If you look at some of the digital banking that are coming out, Revolut and uh, 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 you know, Starling and others. You know, so if you look at the numbers, these are staggering numbers that we're looking at. So we are looking at Lemonade, the you know, so also the insurance space. So I think um, fintech is very, very right for uh, you know, taking over all these banks. Uh, I mean, there will be banking as a as a you know. So like Will get said, is banking is necessary. Banks are not. So, so yeah. you know, banks, so the services will be displaced, but the banks, the way they exist now, will be very difficult to sustain. Yeah. So, with with that said, like uh, the traditional banks, so your JP Morgan's to Goldman Sachs, will they still remain, or will they keep acquiring new comp- new startups as in new fintechs and grow? So, so I mean, you know, banking is a it's a very broad area of services, right? So, I mean, you talk about Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan's of the world. There's a big investment services, big, big merger and acquisition services, corporate services. A lot of these uh, will not be disrupted overnight. And will may yeah. take, you know, 15, 20, a couple of decades to even, you know, think of disrupting. So those services will remain in some form and others. Uh, the most of the disruption would continue to be happening in the retail space in terms of cars, accounts, uh, you know, semi loans, smaller loans, and stuff like that. So that will continue to be disrupted and will happen very quickly. Uh, you know, individual account opening and stuff. So, uh, so banks will obviously remain uh, in some form or another. But for the retailer consumer, the you know fund transfer, payments, uh, wealth management, so that big chunk, there the banks have an option to acquire. And I'm seeing two strategies followed by banks. Either they are opening a subsidiary which is sort of a digital bank uh, on their yep. own or they're acquiring new companies. And both of the strategy may work depending on whether they can execute it properly. So I see some of the local, you know, conventional banks will continue to do that and acquire uh, startups or start something on their own. But at the same time, they can't stop, stop the disruption. That will continue. Yeah. So with, um, with your exposure to all these industries and all these years of investing, have you developed your own investing philosophy if so do you mind uh, describing it briefly so my thesis in general so i'm sort of sector agnostic uh, i mean i do have a bias toward fintechs or healthcare or you know, uh, those areas which i think are going to be big but in general i'm mostly focused on seed series ideas i'm mostly focused on uh, companies which are ahead of the trend for me the found- founders are very important because when I see, because, you know, at seed level, you essentially take a bet on founders. So the founders, the way, when you talk with the founder, the expectation is that the founder is seeing a future which you can't see. Because, you know, because if they think that situations cannot improve or the future won't be like this, they are not going to build a company, right? So, so it's more about taking a bet on the founder, their vision and their perseverance and, you know, the, their hard work. So those are the main criteria that I look at. Uh, in terms of the uh, vertical focus, it's, it's sort of sector agnostic, but anything that, that is trying to uh, break the status quo, uh, those are the areas I really look at, um, and the potential, the large industry that they're going after. Yeah. Um, so with, uh, with your current investments, what are you most excited about that you're working with? Which projects or uh, investments are you most excited about? I mean, 
Uh, it's difficult to point one. I mean, there are so many, but uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, anything that's working on uh, genomics. Uh, I mean, I recently looked at a company where I invested with others. Is they're working on vaccine, uh, okay. so corona vaccine. Uh, so they're right. they're they're using a DNA method to vaccine, and with with a very uh, very advanced technology because using DNA to develop a vaccine has been there, but the way it it needs to be delivered. So this company has come up with a very interesting way to deliver it. So that obviously is very contemporary and looks very interesting to me. Uh, but of course, you know, I mean, so one is obviously this whole changes that are happening in healthcare in terms of you know vaccine development and others. And of course, there are cases where we see you know space that we talked about. That's very interesting. And then of course, you know, the companies which are which doesn't sound you know so lofty or so out of uh, but you know which are solving our day-to-day problems like yeah. you know, like the micro mobilities and ensuring the day-to-day challenges like in the e-commerce space. There are many, many, uh, and then. The other thing that our companies, which are mostly developer focused, because one of the things that's going to happen is we, we, we talk about Amazon, we talk about Spotify, we talk about, uh, you know, DoorDash, we talk about all these companies, but yeah. behind this, there's a group of software developers we're working on, right? So any company that is helping to make those software developers life easier, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. I think is a very interesting space. And we are seeing quite a few companies which are valued at 15, $20 billion in that space, right? So. That is a big, uh, and as, as the technology adoption goes up, that's a space which would be very interesting. Right. That's, I'm still fascinated on how you keep up with so many industries. Um, so it's, um, for example, if you, get, if you get a proposal from a completely different industry, how, what's your process on um, assessing that industry and thinking whether you, you would invest in that particular company? Like, so, uh, so, I, so, you know, I don't think there's any industry left at this stage, uh, you know, which is not covered, yeah. but I mean, but I mean, but of course, I mean, there are places, I mean, there are industries which I know very little of in the sense that, you know, I mean, even if I, I can probably give you a very broad overview of a space economy or general so any of the things that I just mentioned, but of course, I'm not an expert in those. So in many cases, the companies that come across from this field is, for me, it's a lot about talking to the founders do my own research on the on the industry itself, maybe talking with people who knows the industry. And of course, you know, talking with other investors who are invested in the company, right? So all this helped me to form my judgment on, on, on the company as investment itself or not. Okay. Um, with that, do you, are you also interest, uh, invested in the general stock market as well? Or are you mainly focused, just focused on angel investing? Uh-huh. Uh, very focused on angel. I mean, I used to do general okay. stock long time back, but but I, I stopped because I don't find it very interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, the whole idea of uh, yeah, so I, I really don't find it very interesting. So yeah, so I stopped. Yeah, fair enough. So um, say for example, someone with a minimum IT background or startup knowledge, how can they uh, get more involved in a startup per se, and what roles could they possibly play? So, yeah, so, uh, you know, a lot of people ask this question and, and, you know, there is a traditional view that startup founders, meaning they are, you know, IT professionals or IT experts, but, you know, in many cases, that, that's not the case, right? So we, we usually yeah. see two, three founders who is basically the IT guy, or the other person is basically a biz dev guy whose job is to go out and get clients and raise funds and stuff like that. So even if someone is not an IT professional or IT background, that person can very well have a very nice, good career in startups depending on, you know, where he or she wants to build uh, her expertise on. So, uh, you know, the person should reach out to a founder. And one of the things that I realized mentoring and advising a lot of founders is that, you know, the founders, when they start a company, they, uh, 
they lack knowledge in so many other areas of the company in terms of people management, in terms of accounting, in terms of finance raise, you know, so there's so many areas. So, so anyone with those expertise can actually bring real value to the company uh, so, and be part of the story. Right. Um, with all your experience, have you ever considered writing a book? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I will. I mean, I sh- yeah. should one day. Right? So, so two things pending. One is to wants to do this whole podcasting. Uh, so yeah. start having a regular dialogue with founders, and of course, my views on it. So, so that's one. And second, of course, yeah, <laughs> the book. Yeah, really <laughs> looking forward to that too. So, um, um, we are approaching towards the final end of the podcast. So, where do you see yourself in ten years? Uh, depends. I mean, so I mean, I really like this whole investment space very much. So uh, it's very likely I will, you know, get into a large fund, my own. Uh, more, so not from angel investors, but more like Series B, Series C sort of stage. So that can be one. Of course, you know, building the company that I'm doing now, Digital Health, that's also a big passion. So really make it big. Uh, so the idea there is to serve. Currently, we serve eight million people, uh, you know, in Bangladesh. And obviously, currently, the whole idea is really make it global to serve you know uh, ten, hundreds of millions of people globally so that's what we want and of course you know so uh, do something that really makes a dent um, either by backing the right company or helping the right founders okay. yeah that's, um, that's awesome so that that's uh, i think that's as far as i understand that's the main thing of angel investing you can really make an impact when you take general stock investing sometimes you just blindly by yourself but with angel investing you have to do your due diligence and just make a difference pretty much yeah and uh, i see your massive bookshelf Uh, could you please tell three of your favorite books and how it impacted you on your journey Uh, so many right so i mean um, i used to buy a lot of books now i am fully moved to kindle so you know, uh, so I have like uh, I don't know how many, probably a thousand more in Kindle. Uh, it's very, very convenient. So yeah, I'm a voracious reader. So yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, so I mean, uh, zero to one is a very interesting book. Uh, if people like to you uh, read it, so, so that's very interesting. I mean, uh, uh, which one? I think uh, Jim Collins' book on the good to great that should be a very interesting one for people. Uh, you know, uh, do that. I mean, there are many. I mean. Uh, Whichever one uh, people like, they can read. I mean, there are so many books coming out every day. So a lot of fictions uh, that are interesting. Snowflake is one. Uh, people like it. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. And uh, could you also tell us a bit about your syndicate and how you plan on growing it over the coming years? So, you know, the whole syndicate started actually a couple of, uh, you know, only two months back uh, because of yeah. this work from home and stuck in this in Jakarta and I was thinking about what to do because what used to happen is a lot of, uh, you know, uh, founders of the of my portfolio companies used to reach out to me as they raise the next rounds. And I used to send those leads to other, other investors and stuff. So I thought, okay, I mean, let me try to do it. So I started a syndicate, which is uh, two months old now. I have around 350 LPs. Most of these LPs are... Yeah senior resources in tech companies uh, or basically general partners of large PC parts writing their own checks. It's doing quite well. So I did in the last two months, I did six deals, uh, two more are, are going live now. So 
average check size is 250K, uh, 300K. So, you know, so I mean, I'm thinking that if I continue this, it will be like 10, 15 million dollar check a year, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is a very, very Pretty decent yeah. uh, mid-size mid -size VC funds. Because if you, if you raise a 50 million dollar fund, you'll probably invest in 25, 30 million in the first three years. Right. Yeah. So with that, you know, you're basically talking over this. So that's very interesting. Yeah, that's amazing. So where can uh, people find you, reach out to you, and what can they expect from you? I mean, I'm in LinkedIn. So one would be able to connect me in LinkedIn, so we can regularly check. The other option would be, you know, follow me on Twitter, something like that. Uh, and then, of course, my website, www.sajidrahman.com, so people can drop a message. So anyway, I mean, I mean, I, obviously, I, mean, I do receive lots of lots of messages. So yeah. I mean, just if I don't respond to someone, doesn't mean that I'm ignoring or anything. It's most of the cases I feel like I can't add real value to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and of course, there's always this question of priority. Uh, but yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, if there's something, if someone wants to reach out, if one of the founders want to reach out about potential investment stuff, if they send me a short note with the proper deck and stuff, you know, so that would be good. And we can take the discussion. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so have you got any final comments before we close out? Anything you want to add? Anything you want to say to the audience? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, so it depends. I mean, if the audience is, uh, you know, wants to do some sort of investments, my suggest would be you know, try angel investments, write very small checks, create a portfolio, follow someone who is already doing it, you know, so follow the lead and at least learn. I mean, you lose some money, but you learn in the process. If you're a founder trying to build a company, I think this is the best time to build one. So, you know, uh, I mean, just uh, start the journey and see where it ends. But this is a very good time to build a tech company. Uh, but yeah, other than that, uh, stay safe. Yeah. Awesome. And one last question. So do you advise, so someone, do you advise someone getting started in general investing first or is it okay for them to jump onto angel investing, take, take the deep dive? So you so said the difference between general and angel, obviously angel investment is very liquid. Once you, once you invest, you're basically stuck for five, 10 years. Uh, you know, yeah. Longer. General investment, you can put in the money, you can exit, you know, I mean, uh, even if so you're seeing losing money and in investment, you lose a lot of money. So you need to create a portfolio to get a significant return and stuff like that. So usually in general investment, we suggest that you don't invest more than 10% of your investable income. So if someone has $100, okay. the person should not invest more than $10, $15 of that yeah. pot. So, that, so there are a couple of disciplines one needs to learn, but I mean, angel investment is a very good way to learn investments. Uh, it is sort of, you know, someone, if someone is interested in technology and finance, so angel investment is sort of a mix of that. So yeah. that's, a, you know, that's, that's a good place uh, if you're interested in both these spaces. Thank you, Sajid, for all your knowledge and insights. It's been an absolute pleasure having you and talking to you. And yeah, thank you for your time and wish you all the best with uh, your future with My Asia VC and your syndicate and your blog. And hope you write that book and podcast soon. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and learned something new from this episode. If you did, make sure you like, comment and subscribe. And if you know anyone who would benefit from the content we covered today, make sure you share it with them and add some value to their life. Have a blessed day and take care.